The following audio is from Foundation Life Bible Church. More information about Foundation Life is available at www.foundationlbc.com. Chris, I was really blessed this morning with the reminder that God does not need me. That God does not need man. That God does not depend on man. And yet, His Spirit has made Himself known to us. He has shown us our sin. And He has shown us Jesus. And He has given us the privilege to know Him. What a God. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for joining us from your living rooms. And I don't know what past things you're struggling with. I don't know what you're anticipating this week. But I know that God does. And here's the privilege that we have this morning. We get to just like we just did in song, and just like we just did in prayer, and just like as we learned that God does not need us, we get to seek the Lord together. So let's seek Jesus together as His church right now. Will you pray with me? Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to share in the privilege of sitting under your word, of taking in your word. God, you give us pearls, pearls through time alone in your word, pearls through sitting under men teaching your word. And God, it's just one more strand that we can wear. One more pearl to add to the strand that we can walk in. Lord, I know that right now, I think about Alicia, Lord, who's at a conference right now, Lord, seeking you. I think about brothers and sisters at home right now in their living room seeking you. I think about those who are here in this room seeking you. And we depend upon you. We trust you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you'll remember, we begin chapter 4 with a verbal exchange between God and Jonah. The plan is to finish up today. But what we found was true in Jonah's heart is he still didn't give a flip about Nineveh, did he? He didn't care about Nineveh. He preached to Nineveh, but his heart wasn't in it. And in fact, he had this hope. He had this hope in his heart that maybe their repentance was like a flash in the pan. Maybe it might be there one second, but that it'd be snatched away. He was hoping it would be snatched away. The seed was planted, but Jonah hoped that their wicked hearts would show out. He hoped that it wouldn't be authentic, that it wouldn't be genuine, that they wouldn't hear God's warning. God had shown mercy to Jonah multiple times. We read in 4.2 that he knew God's character. But Jonah still had not picked up what God had laid down. And often that is true of us. And when he came to the realization that that the repentance was authentic, that this was the real deal, it aided him. And still feeling he was right and God was wrong. Dangerous place to be, right? That's futility. God is wrong and Jonah is right. Not a good place to be. 
You ever had this conversation before? I knew it. This is what Jonah did. I knew it. I knew it, God. I knew who you were. And I knew you'd be merciful and gracious to my enemies. But that's what self-righteousness does. It blinds. It longs to prove others wrong, doesn't it? It smears a person's face in the mud when they're already covered in it. It wants to be justified. And above all, it insists on being right. My flesh wants to be right. My selfish tendencies want me to be right. You've had this exchange before. You told someone not to do something, they do it, and how do I respond? I told you this was a bad idea. I told you it was going to turn out this way, and you still did it. You still did it. Not coming from the right heart, but a heart that wants to be proved right. And in pride, we kick each other when we're down. And Jonah wanted to prove God wrong. So this morning, I want to begin with a question. I want to begin with the question, how do you and I respond to the storms of life? What's a storm of life? When things are hard, that's a storm of life. When we don't like our circumstances, that's a storm of life. Well, first, the good news. Here's what the storm often does. It draws us to the Lord, doesn't it? The storm draws us to the Lord. And we go to God and we ask Him, Lord, will you intervene? Will you fix this problem? Will you take this circumstance away? Will you remove this sickness? Will you heal? Will you take away the trial? Will you take away this person who is a pain in my neck? Right? Whatever it is. Okay? The Apostle Paul did the same thing with the Lord. That's not unusual. Paul asked the Lord, would you remove this thorn, this thing that I'm struggling with? We read in 2 Corinthians, these words, 12, 7 through 9. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from coming conceited. Three, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. He pleaded with the Lord, remove this thorn. I don't like this. But what was God's answer? No. Paul was privileged to walk in things not many get to. He, the kingdom of God was revealed to him unlike it is to most. And out of love, the Lord would not take it away. Why? God deemed that Paul needed this thorn, this messenger of Satan. Paul, you need this. Because it will keep you in the right state of mind. It will remind you that you're weak. It will remind you that you need to depend upon me. It will remind you that you need me. And here's what Paul didn't want. I don't want you getting too big for your britches. I don't want you to think this, this responsibility is about making a big deal out of you. And ultimately, what was this about? This was about Paul's sanctification. 
And that's the goal of the Lord in the storm. Sanctification. Us being made like Jesus. That's what the trials do. So here's what I want to invite you to do before I get to our point. Next week, for the edification of this church, I want to invite you to think about sharing with the people of God that you gather in the name of the Lord with to share what God has taught you in the storms of life. That's our focus today. God, what are you teaching me in the storms of life? What are you doing? I'm going to revisit that over and over again next week for the edification of the church. And there's about five places I'm thinking about going, but God and I aren't there yet. But what I want to do is I want to come together and I want for the edification of this church to the glory of God, us to share what have the storms of life taught me? What lessons have God taught me? And it'll be for our good. Okay, so will you do that? Now, you can do that through text in your living room. You can send that to me this week. You could send a video of a testimony if you're not quite comfortable being here, whatever that is. But just how has God worked in you? What has He taught you through the storms of life? Does that make sense? That's what I'm asking you to do next week. That's what I'm asking me to do. So our passage reminds us that the storms of life, God has a lesson. He takes us to the classroom. And we have an inclination, our first inclination, is to say, God, stop the storm. Make it stop. Take the bad man away, right? But as we finish Jonah today, I invite you to consider, what do the circumstances teach me? What lesson is God teaching me in the storm? And if we have our, our hearts and our minds set on things above and thinking about the eternal race, or as Peter puts it, the salvation of our souls, then this is the right question. It's in the lesson that there is a blessing. Or maybe we can say it like this if we need it to rhyme. It's in the lesson that there's a blessing, right? It's in the lesson that there's a blessing. And that's what we're looking at. So let's take a look. Will you do this? You have Jonah open on your laps right now on your phones and your Bibles. Take the next two minutes and read Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. Do that now, please. Okay. So Jonah was angry, and what did he do? He plopped down in a booth that he had made, our scripture tells us, and he wallowed in his misery. Remember, when we think about Jonah, he's throwing a pity party. All right, so verse 5. Let's read it together. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So next, our passage will teach us that God provided three things. You just read. He provided three things for Jonah as Jonah sought. What did he provide? He provided a plant. And that plant gave shade. Next, he brought a worm. That worm destroyed the plant. And then finally, he brought, he brought a scorching wind. So three things we see. And of course, what does this remind us? Kids, if we stop and take in the character of God, who is God in this? We see that he orders steps, that he's sovereign. We see 
his providence in the lives of people. He brings the plant, he brings the worm, he brings the wind. Three things. Circumstances in our lives are God ordering our steps. So, when it comes to circumstances that we welcome, that we receive with gladness, it looks like this, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So Jonah likes this. But then there's the circumstances, what? We hope to avoid. Let's get through this quickly. I don't want to talk about this. And here we go, verse 7 and 8. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Have you ever, have, did you think about why you were in that? How many times has Jonah said this, right? How many times has he wanted to die, this guy, right? But there it is, okay? So it brings, Barb and Chris, I thought about you. Because I know you're going through the book of Job right now. And you know what? Noah started the book of Job this week. Pretty cool. So two verses here from Job that help us. Okay, so the first one, Job 1, 15 and 16. You probably have heard this. Though he slay me, I'm sorry, Job 8. Let me say that right. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet... I will argue my ways to his face. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation that the godless shall not come before him. So this is hard, but I'm going to hope in him. And then probably the most famous verse in Job, Job 121. You remember this one, Barbara Chris? Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I memorized that in a different version, but I wanted to make sure we read that from the ESV. So God showed kindness to Jonah. He provided comfort by giving him shade, God's goodness. And then what did he do? He took that comfort away and the heat beat down on Jonah. It made Jonah miserable. This scorching wind that the Bible talks about, it would be almost unbearable. Conditions that would be hard to live in. And understandably, what was Jonah fixated on? His comfort. That's no surprise. I'm fixated on my comfort. I'm fixated on my safety, right? Jonah responded just as he did in previous chapters, right? I want to die. Just kill me, God. Okay, there it is. Now, think about a trial that your loved one has endured, or that you have endured. Many, right? Our first line of defense is what? Again, please, God, take this away. Maybe we haven't asked God to make us die, although I have been in that hospital room where brothers or sisters have pleaded with the Lord to take their lives, that they want to go home. That does happen but probably not often. But just as he did with Paul, the Lord did not give Jonah what he desired. No. Jonah, there's a lesson for you here. 
I am not going to remove this from you. So what did he do? He took him to the classroom. How many of us know that much of our life, the Lord takes us to the classroom? Anybody ever been in the classroom with the Lord? Yes, and you're going to be again. It was teaching time. There is a lesson in the storm. Do we understand that when the storm comes, there is a lot more going on than I can see? Is that true? There's a lot more going on for the eternal. There's a lot more here that counts than what's in front of me. Again, God is sowing seeds for eternity. So what's the question I ask? What lesson is God teaching me in the storm? And brother and sister, we must understand, I usually don't learn to lesson until I'm out of the storm. Is that right? Yes. I can't see it when I'm in it. When I can't see two feet in front of me, and I can't focus on what God's doing because the circumstances have overwhelmed me. But later I see, and maybe I don't get to see, and maybe the, the simple solution is I'm going to be with the Lord in glory. But often later I see, okay, God, I see the lesson you are teaching me. And that's what I'm asking us to do next week to the glory of God for the edification of the church to share what has God taught me through the hard things? What has God taught me through the trials? Okay? It's easy to take that stance when I'm looking in your life. Well, Mike, here's what I see here. Right? I can see what God is doing when it's you. But when it's me, man, that's when it gets real. That's when it's no longer practice. That's the ball game, right? That's why we've got to be in this word. Sometimes our circumstances overwhelm us. They overtake us. Parents, hopefully by the grace of God, when you think about your role in your kid's life, you base your decision not on now, but what? On their future. You have their future in mind. No, you can't spend the night with your girlfriend. I don't care if you want to do that. That's not a good idea. No, you can't go out on the icy roads. You've only driven for a week. You can't do that, right? Dad, do you remember that? Okay, no. I have to tell you no. By God's grace, hopefully, we parent with the end game in mind, right? That's the goal. That's the goal. But that's not always true, is it? Because what does my flesh want? What does your flesh want? All of us bring sin to the table. All of us have selfish tendencies. Just think about how many times you do things because you're selfish. How many times do I do things because I'm selfish? What gives me what I want right now? We talk about kids that way, but my flesh does the same thing. Much of sin is rooted here. Veruca salt. I want it and I want it now. Right? That's it. That's what my flesh does. And it is unquenchable. It always wants that. It wants what's best for me. That's what it wants. And it will do anything to get it. That's what it wants. Okay? And praise God. What do I have? I have the truth to battle these tendencies. I have truth not to live by my feelings. 
We live by our feelings. My Bible's falling apart. We live by our feelings, don't we? But we have the truth to battle these tendencies. So the Lord says, okay, Jonah, class begins today. Do you want to get that for me? You can if you want to. Thank you, Syria. Okay. Our Lord questions so methodically go after the heart. Thank you, sweetie. What is the intention of the heart? This is why I must be in the Word on a regular basis because I have a bent toward living by my feelings. Selfish tendencies. Making assumptions about you. Many times the worst assumptions. Okay? And if not, how can I learn the lesson? How can I be in the classroom? God invites us to be like Mary. To sit at Jesus' feet to sit at his feet, to take his yoke, to listen to him because God's glory is at stake and my sanctification is at stake. And that's how good God is. God says, your sanctification is what matters here because ultimately that leads to my glory. So the question is, God, what are you doing in the storm? 1 Peter 1.6.9 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. All right, so look at verse 9, please, in Jonah now. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough, there it is, to die. Right? Sometimes we just want to be like Alexander in the kids' book, don't we? Sometimes we just want to be mad. You know what book I'm talking about? Alexander and the no good, I said it wrong, terrible, no good, horrible, very bad day. You guys know what I'm talking about. All right, but anyway, along those lines, the flesh wants to be mad sometimes. Jonah wanted to be mad. He was angry about the situation. Jonah, is how you have responded justified? Does your, is your behavior here right? That's what God's saying. And he says, yes. From a proud heart, yes, Lord. I do well to be angry. Jonah's bitterness toward Nineveh consumed him. It's almost like he said this to God. God, if you're going to save this wretched filth of a nation after what they've done to your people, after what they've done to the surrounding people around them, pillaging, conquering, brutally and violently overtaking them, then I don't want to be around for that. I don't want any part of that. I would rather die. And the last thing Jonah wanted to observe was seeing his enemies experience the mercy of God. 
But again, don't forget here, class was in session. He reminded Jonah, as he reminds us, that God doesn't check with us before he saves. God doesn't say, Sam, do they meet your requirements? Sam, are you okay with this? Sam, I wanted to make sure before I'm God and I do what I do, are you all right with me going after this person's heart? No, that's not what he does. The Lord died for all sinners. And he welcomes all sinners, all sinners, all sinners who will surrender and repent. Whosoever will may come. I love the picture of Jesus at Sukkot, at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7. Because the water is being poured in front of him. He says these words. He stood up in a loud voice and he made this scene. And it was an uncomfortable scene when Jesus did this. And he stood up and he said these words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. As they're celebrating God's presence with them. As for Jonah, the Lord says, I'm sorry, Jonah, you don't get to check out here. You are going to stay in that chair and you are going to be a part of the class I have for you. And the Lord honed in on what was at Jonah's core. What was going on deep inside of him? Jonah prioritized the trivial. He prioritized stuff. He prioritized his comfort that God would only work in his circles. And God invited him to take a closer look. Jonah, I want you to see your heart. I want you to see what truly matters to you. This is not pretty, Jonah. This is ugly. And the same is true for me. Every one of us, when we come to the table, we come to the table fallen short of the glory of God. It's true. And the Lord said in verse 10, You pity the plants for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And in verse 11, Jonah, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Jonah, is that what you're asking me to do? God laid Jonah bare with what he said, and it was ugly. And we should expect that. Because as I often like to say, people will be people. Right? People will be people. We like to think we are good, but we are not. We are not good. The truth makes that clear. Let me stop generalizing and make this personal. I am not good. I invite you to do the same. I am not good. I have a bent in the flesh toward iniquity and sin. And I deceive and lie all the time. I manipulate circumstances. I look to control others. I do whatever it takes for my own selfish gain. And that's what the flesh does. 
I hurt others, I make assumptions, I ghost others and take the easy way out. That's what I do in the flesh. Because in the flesh, it's about my selfish desires. It's about my selfish tendencies. We have a propensity in the flesh to think that we are much better than we are. To trust in ourselves, to think that we have it together, and to follow men. Who do we talk about in our conversations? Do we talk about a follower of Christ, a man of God, a woman of God, or do we talk about Christ? What does our conversations look like? More about men or more about God? We often compare ourselves to other believers when we do this. I remember for years it was Bob George this and Bob George that for me, for me and Mel early on in our marriage. It was Bob George books said this and Bob George says this and Bob George this and Bob George that, right? You ever done that before? And then so what did I do? What happens to me when I follow a man? I find people that aren't thinking like me and I point my finger. I find people that don't believe what I believe because I have some higher knowledge that I get things better than other people ever been there before. And so you put yourself on a pedestal. Why don't they have it together like me? But the, why is that happening? Because you're not in the truth. You're following a man. That's what happens. Right? Knowledge puffs up. The only way this word works is through the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God that changes the heart. It's the Spirit of God that works in me. It's the Spirit of God that makes me new. And only by the Spirit of God have I overcome anything in my life. So I have no room to boast. Amen? The only boast is Christ crucified. What we celebrated last week. The only boast is that Christ died for this wretched sinner, Sam Pierce. That's it. That's the boast. Jesus rescued me. And then he said, guess what else? The grave can't hold me. And so now you get to share in that resurrected life. The grave could not hold me. So now you get to walk in the newness of life. You get to be a partaker of divine nature. And as much as you mess this up, you get to keep coming back to me because what I did was enough. And that's it. That's it. So putting down fellow believers instead of understanding it's the Spirit's work is sin. Trust that the Spirit is working in my brother or sister. But I mess things up when I attempt to do this. And watch this. Do you ever try to play the role of the Holy Spirit in someone else's life? You ever try to force things? You ever try to say, ooh, you should be getting this. Now, come on. No. The only way that I'm going to grab a hold of the truth is if the Spirit works in it. I sat under messages for years in the church, and I told you, drew army bases, didn't care one thing about what was being said. And then one day, God moved in His Word. And it was God. God did it. I rejected Him again and again. The call for me is simply to walk in the obedience and truth that He's given me and the pearls that he's given me, to wear those pearls, to walk in that truth, to be obedient to it. And the Lord is so patient with us in it and loves in us. And we seek Jesus together while we mess up every step of the way. 
through the Spirit, the Apostle Paul walked in a freedom and a closeness to God that few experience. Yet what did he say? I'm the chief of all sinners. The more we are in this truth, and the more God reveals to us who he is, the more desperate we see we need Jesus. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I like to compare it to a house. Think about your heart like a house. The living room of your heart may be clean. Praise God. The kitchen of your heart may be clean. Praise God. You may have picked up the clothes in the bedroom of your heart off the floor. Praise God. But the upstairs is a mess, church. And you know what else? There's an attic that you don't even know about. And God's not even ready to crack the door. And I have to understand that. And that's what Paul got. He may have been overcoming sin, but he understood this truth. I am never going to line up with my Lord Jesus. And there's an addict that in love, he's not even going to show me yet because I can't handle it. And that's what's true. And so we've got to understand that. It's grace and we rejoice in that grace. Jonah, by outward appearance, he's looked to have it together. Ooh, he'd make a good church member, right? Okay, but God revealed what? That he prioritized, they prioritized things that are fleeting, things that belong in a junkyard, things that are passing away, things that moth and rust destroy. And here's what's going on in your heart, Jonah. You want the comfort of shade of this plant more than you desire the salvation of these lost Ninevites' souls. That's what your heart reveals. That's what's going on in there. It's ugly. And you would rather have your comfort and to watch me pour out wrath. Did I watch The Chosen? The first said, isn't that funny when John and James wanted to pour fire down from heaven? Man, right? And then Jesus said, okay, here's what that just sounded like. Okay, he's like, oh, we say it like that, it doesn't sound good, but that's the heart. That's the human heart. But it was more important, his comfort, than the lost souls of people made in the image of God. Eternity was on the line for these people, and Jonah didn't give a flip. And in my flesh, I don't give a flip. That's why I've got to be dependent on on the Lord. His heart revealed a man that was self-absorbed and deemed his selfish desires more important than men and women who were on the doorstep of hell, who needed to be rescued. There it is. God pointed out how wicked it was for Jonah to have no regard for these people. How is it, Jonah, that you are numb to these children who, unless I intervene, are going to die without me. How are you numb to that? How are you numb to seeing their parents saved? This is convicting. Because you know what God showed me when I was thinking about my selfish tendencies? This is not pretty. 
that when it comes to those that are in my circles, and all of you are in my circle, okay? But when it comes to those that are in my circle, I genuinely care. I genuinely desire to have that relationship. I did genuinely care, even in the flesh. But when you're not in my circle, most of the time, I don't give a flip about you. It's true. God has to change our heart a little at a time. He does, and He will, and He does through His Word. We are not worthy of this gift of salvation. We can't even begin to understand how precious and valuable it is, and many times my sin blinds me from seeing that. All of us are still working through sin, and all of us have selfish tendencies. And God is still good, and God still takes us to the classroom, and God still allows the storms and trials of life to teach us for our sanctification. God uses what is hard to teach us. He humbles us. He makes us low. He changes us. Why? To free us from sin. That's where His glory is. The storm is not wasted for you that hope in Christ. Circumstances are not in vain if we hope in Christ. They are for our sanctification. They are for our good. And God has the finished line in mind. If, I, if we take one thing away from today, one thing away by the Spirit of God, I pray that it's this. What lesson is God teaching me in the storm? Because me, I want to get out of the storm. You, you want to get out of the storm. But God says there's a lesson in the storm. God says there's a lesson in the trial. God said there's a lesson in what's hard. God said you're learning more about me in this. You're growing in the relationship with me. What lesson are you teaching me in the storm? So again, what are we doing next week? I want to invite you to pray about this this week. And if I forget, will you call me on this? Will you just call it out if I forget to mention this next week? Because that's possible, okay? But next week, we want to share what the storms of life have taught us. Where have we seen the grace and mercy of God? And brothers and sisters in your living rooms, send that call, text message, email, video. We need to share that with one another for the edification of this church. It'd be good. Let me read one more passage in Romans, and then I just want you to listen to a song by Kirk Franklin, a song that I love. It's called Blessing in the Storm. Just listen to the words. But here's, I want to close with this passage. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let me pray for us and then as soon as the song is over, we will dismiss.
and I'm not even going to say you are dismissed. Let me make that clear. When the song's over, service is over. Okay? Good. Excellent. Father God, your word, it just humbles, Lord. It cuts. It encourages. It rebukes. It disciplines. It reveals God. And Father, what we are reminded once more is what Paul was taught. And that is that we desperately need you. Father, thank you for the bond that I share with these men and women being unified in you, Lord. And Father, there is only one to celebrate. There is only one worthy of praise. And that is the Lamb of God. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for that truth. Father, the kids were reminded this morning that the call on our life is to love you with all that we are and to love those around us. So we ask you to change us with that. We ask you to use the storms of our life and the trials of our life and the difficulties of ours and others to teach us that, God. Father, none of us have it together, but we have you. And we thank you for that. Thank you for giving us you. Thank you for relationship with you. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We love you, Lord. And we pray this week that you help us take steps of faith unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Foundation Life Bible Church, located in Greenwood, Indiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Foundation Life Bible Church, please visit us online at www.foundationlbc.com.